and welcome to the seventh episode of Grit, a show about persevering and betting on your dreams. I'm Aki Vora, and in this show, I have conversations with some incredible Indians who have gone against the grain and are catalyzing change in India. On this episode, I interview Payal Khanwala, one of India's leading fashion designers. She started her eponymous fashion label in 2012 when she couldn't find the kind of clothes that she wanted to wear. Although she never envisioned building an empire and creating a category of her own in the Indian fashion space, Payal has gone on to do that and more. Even though her clothes are now adorned by A-list Bollywood celebrities and are often featured in the news, for Payal it has never been about fame, money or features. It is her love for creating clothes that empower the wearer, that motivates and inspires her. She generously opened up about her journey, design philosophy and why she does what she does in this incredible episode, which I hope you love as much as I do. If you enjoy our podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review. It helps us a lot. You can also follow us along on Instagram at Kitbayakivora. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to start off by saying thank you so much again for taking time out and Based on our phone conversation and this, I'm really excited to share um, this podcast with everyone. And I'm so inspired by all the work that you do. My mom and I keep talking about your designs because they show up a lot. And she's such a big fan, as am I. So this is really exciting. Um, Thank you for having me. Um, so I thought an interesting place to start would be um, maybe like college and how you transitioned from starting when you started studying um, fashion design to how you ended up being an artist professionally and then um, transitioned into your label. So I thought maybe that would be a good place to start. Yeah, so I think just to give you a little bit of history, um, I grew up in a family, I'm an only child, um, and I grew up with uh, watching my mom sew clothes. Um, She also painted, and her mom painted, and her mom sewed clothes as well. And so um, for me, I've sort of uh, grown up having these two influences parallelly, right? Um, she used to make clothes for me, her mom used to sew clothes for her, and they both painted. And as, an, as a single child, I spent most of my time making little clothes for my dolls or painting in my free time. So I kind of did both things at the same time. And then uh, once I graduated school, I was, you know, I was, I was a nerdy kid. I, uh, you know, I was a straight A student, and then I did. Uh, well in 10th grade here which is a board exam which is a big deal and then you, know, you have to figure out what you want to do at 15 and I had no idea what I wanted to do obviously so I chose the path of least resistance I suppose and I studied commerce okay which was the exact opposite of what I ever wanted to do is, is to have a business degree and debit what comes in and credit what goes out and you know that's I think that, that might be the only thing I remember from that prior two years that I spent at Sydney um, studying commerce and um, I hated it and then uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to spend some of my part, free part-time um, going into a, a clothing studio at Garden Varelli. Um, and I was learning over there um, just how to put clothes together, a little more about textiles. It was exciting. And I actually really loved drawing. So I love making those fancy fashion illustrations. And in my naive brain, I thought, that's kind of what you need, you know, to 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 study fashion or to know more about fashion or to, to make a business in fashion happen. When in fact, it's a complete opposite. Nobody really cares what illustrations you really make. You know, ultimately, when you go to the two-year master pattern cutter, he just wants tech drawing, right? He doesn't want a fancy drawing which he can't understand. Um, that said, I uh, was working with Wendell Rodericks at the time and he was teaching at SNDT, which is a fashion school um, in Bombay. I think one of the only two options anyways at that time because this was, uh, you know, in, in the 18th century. So uh, <laughs> um, that's what I did then. I decided, okay, I'm not going to do commerce anymore and I'm just going to switch. And so I studied fashion. So I did that for two and a half years and I did my internships and all of that stuff. And you know, at that point when I graduated, which I think is very important for all the young people that perhaps are listening in, um, is one of the reasons I didn't want to do it was because it seemed like so much work, which it is, okay? It's, it's a lot of work. It's uh, the business of uh, uh, fashion is 95% of it, right? Um, and at that point, so that was one reason for me that was a bit of a deterrent. But the second reason I think was more important 
um, is that I didn't really know what I wanted to say. So now I had the skills to, you know, pattern the clothes and I knew how to drape them and I knew how to put things together and I had a flair for it and I enjoyed it. But I didn't really know what I wanted to make, you know, who was the woman I was dressing. I was so young. I was still, I mean, I know now you guys, when you're like 20 or it's a different 21 year old now, you know, we uh, didn't have access to the world of Google and stuff and we were still sort of quite naive in terms of exposure and things like that. And I just wasn't sure that if I was going to make clothes and start a label, that unless I had some sort of point of view, um, that it made uh, any point to do that. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, I really, my first love was really painting, you know, because uh, I, I am a bit of a control freak and I've learned to be less of it uh, over time now that I'm running this business. But uh, at that point, I really wanted to do something that allowed me the freedom to make something just with paints and a canvas and my hands. Um, and I was very good at it. And I thought, okay, why don't I just study fine art? So I decided to switch again. And then I went to New York to study uh, fine art and illustration and uh, I went to Parsons and I decided, I did, I, because I was sort of flipping back and forth at that point, I think my parents were like, okay, I, gosh, she's going to be one of those kids that doesn't know what she wants to do. Um, so I was quite shady. I said, okay, okay you know, I'll, I'll apply for a one year course and then we'll see if this is what I really like or not. And, uh, and so I did. And then I ended up staying, um, I transferred to the four year graduate program and then I decided uh, I was going to stay there for another four years. So I didn't come back for eight years. I mean, I came back, to, you know, all the time, but um, uh, I was in New York for eight years. And so when now when I graduated, the conundrum was that, um, you, th- you know, you get that one year to figure out what you want to do. Uh, but as a painter, it's not like, what job can I have just painting? You know, you're self-employed. And I was making money selling my artwork, but... I didn't have any time because I needed a job to get a visa to stay back. So then I worked in the fashion industry and I was doing PR for um, this menswear designer that won the Perry Ellis Award. Um, I wasn't really interested even then in fashion as such or in the world of fashion in a sense, right? But I was always keen on dressing a certain way, putting my clothes together. I, I, I always... Um, like sort of expressing myself creatively when I put my wardrobe together. That was just something that I did naturally. But it, you know, I was in New York. It wasn't like I was designing any of the clothes. I had a belly at any money, so I would just throw stuff together. Um, and then I came back to India. I was working for about 10, 10 years or so. I was painting full time. So there was actually no discussion about fashion other than on a very personal sort of things that I would put together. Once I came back to India, of course, it's very easy because everyone has a neighborhood tailor, right? Yeah. So you can go and you can tell him, put this with this and, you know, get something ready and get it together. That's kind of also ultimately what allowed me over here to have a very distinct point of view of how I wanted to dress because I couldn't find really what I wanted to wear, which is why I had to end up making it. It wasn't something that I chose to do. It was really a need-based thing. I just, uh, everything was sort of coordinates and... Um, you know, India culturally is used to having clothes that are already designed for you in a way, right? If you wear a lehenga, you wear a choli, if you have a sari, you have a blouse, and you have a petticoat, and everything's kind of matching. And uh, the idea of sort of like modern separates didn't quite exist when I went there. You know, everything was kind of in that bridal space, more dressy. Um, and then in 2012, uh, I had an opportunity to show at Lakme Fashion. And I thought... Uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, I really didn't think it through at that point, right? Obviously, I just uh, jumped off the deep end and I thought, well, oh, that'll, that'll be a fun exercise. It's, you know, shifting canvas for me. Uh, it's something that I do enjoy putting together. And I was uh, quite frustrated not being able to find the kind of clothes that ticked all the boxes for me. Uh, and so I said, okay, I'll do it. And we literally set the whole thing up in two months. I didn't have, I had one, you know, my mom's tailor that used to make like her blouses. So obviously he was not set up to do this. So I found a factory that would make the clothes and I would go there every day. And it was really me, just solo. I thought, what's the worst that can happen, right? I'd have 16 looks and nobody would buy them. And then there'd be samples and I'd wear them. So I'd have 16 new clothes um, and so that's what I did so it was very organic I had to you know we kind of designed the label and everything it was kind of ad hoc and it was very organic it happened quickly and then um, 
people really reacted well to the clothes. Uh, and that was exciting. I really didn't see this happening at all at that point. This was not the strategy when I started. Uh, it was very need-based. Um, and then one thing led to another, you know, and then we were in a few stores. I think at that point, I have to say, and I feel even, even now, but at that point especially, uh, I don't think that the that the audience was quite ready for what I was suggesting, right? Also, my first collection was very based on how I dressed. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it, it was a sort of bit complicated. I think it, not complicated, I would say, but maybe a little bit intimidating in terms of drape and how you throw things together. Everything was separate, which meant that you could put things together. But I think that people were like, yeah, but what do I wear on the bottom of this? And, you know, why have you put a pant under a dress? And I did many things based on the way I used to dress in New York because it was always cold and I layered things. So it was a little confusing. And, you know, stockists that that do so well for us now um, then send clothes back because they said, listen, people are not ready for this. They they don't really know what to do with it. but we, I kind of dug my heels in and I said, well, this is what I do. And I really do believe in it. I really did believe in it. And I think some of it was just kind of, uh, uh, you know, I don't like to say educating the audience because that kind of implies that they're, you know, dummies to begin with. But I think it was just letting them see it, like just having them be exposed to it more, have a few people wear it, then they see it, then then when they get compliments, they're like, oh, and then, then they buy, then they get compliments. And then it's, you know, it just happens sort of that word of mouth thing really worked for us. You know, people really stood out when they wore our clothes, if they went to a dinner party or a cocktail. And I think uh, that on-ground uh, sort of marketing or promotion or call it what you like uh, is what really helped us because our clothes were also very distinctive. You know, the palette was really fresh. It was... Uh, uh, the silhouettes were very uh, distinctive, you know, they were easily recognizable. So it really helped propel that brand sort of signature. So, um, yeah, and, you know, I was working out of my living room and I had a baby. And, you know, that, and then at one point my husband sort of said, listen, you know, if you really want to build this, we have to build it like a proper brand and we have to think of it like that. And I really, um, you know, I have to say, I don't, I go by instinct, but I'm not at heart an entrepreneur um, because I don't really see macro things. I've learned to do it over time, but I tend to focus on, okay, this zipper can't be like, you know, this pocket has to be enough. Those are the things that I love and I enjoy doing. Um, it's not necessarily um, the hustle of the business that excites me, you know, the, the making the money and then, I'm not interested in any of that. I've never been interested in the money aspect of it and balancing sheets. And uh, it doesn't excite me that we made X amount of money this year or not. And I'm not even really, to be honest, involved in that because I feel um, for me, when I'm separated from that, that I have more uh, creative freedom without being bogged down with data and stuff, right? Because that's always, uh, for a creative person, that's the biggest struggle. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, to, to know that, okay, these are the data points, these, these colors work, these shapes work better. So now that kind of leaves me with two options. Do I continue doing more of that or do I push the envelope and do whatever the hell I want and make sure that then that works? And then, you know, so, uh, and it's tough because it's subliminal, right? Even if you just, I know, listen, I don't care. You, it's a fine balance. You do have to listen. You have to keep your ears open. You have to listen to what your audience is saying to you because in the end, it is a product, right? I'm very clear in my head that um, this is not an art project. It's not meant to hang in a museum just with somebody else. They have to wear it. They have to inhabit it. Um, and then they have to come back and want more. And so if you're stubborn and you do just what you believe in, um, that's one way to do it. But in the end, if no one's going to buy it, then that's sort of a failed exercise. But you don't want to listen so much that ultimately it becomes what they want because sometimes they don't know what they want. Unless you suggest it to them, uh, they don't know. Right? They don't know how to visualize it. That's my job. And so... It, you know, it's a fine balance. You have to do a little bit of both. For sure. 
That actually, everything you said resonates a lot. And I have a bunch of questions, actually. The first was to go back a little bit. When you first started off and you mentioned that the collection at Lakme was received well, but then as you, the business started to expand a little bit, you got a lot of goes back and people were a little bit confused and then it slowly started to build. So in terms of, in those moments over there, like how were you defining success for yourself? Because you were putting these clothes out there and you said, okay, this is what I want to do. And how has that changed over time now that it's become more of a business and you have to, like you said, um, take those decisions? You know, it's the same because um, the one thing that I never did was um, you know, Vikram is my partner and he runs the business and my husband and he handles the business aspect of it. Okay. So the one great thing that has happened for me is that he shields me from a lot of these touch points. Um, that for me, success wasn't really based on the fact that some clothes came back or that they didn't move as quickly as I wanted because I knew from the beginning that what I was suggesting was already left of center, right? It wasn't edgy and avant-garde and that, that in the way that we know those words now. But it was left of center 100%. And it was always going to be a very niche market, uh, the people that really liked my clothes. Um, I, I always feel like, hey, look, it's for everybody. But it's, it, perhaps it's not for everybody. You know, it is for people that, are, um, that have that sort of like um, sort of inherent sort of confidence or a tendency to want to experiment, to be a little bit free-spirited, not be too uh, careful and sort of tentative about how they dress. You know, it, it does require certain kind of personality to carry on my clothes. Um, you know, people who care about style more than fashion, for instance, because we never do anything that has um, um, anything to do with trends and, you know, sort of trend forecasts and color forecasts and all that stuff, right? Um, so that hasn't changed so much now because even now we're still a niche market. Uh, you know, I always tell my husband if we went on Shark Tank, I would know all the reasons, all the five, I know all the five responses you would get why they would never invest in it because we kind of really did build a category of our own, right? Um, there is nobody out there that, are, that is making clothes that look like this and are trying to do what we're trying to do. Um, that makes it difficult to scale because um, I don't know, it might take two generations for people to think this is the norm because the one thing that I'm uh, very clear about is that I've always wanted to make clothes that were not repackaged versions of some things that we've already done, right? Yep. So the idea is that how do we um, make clothes now that will be a reference for future generations? You know, just as we're looking at things that the Mughals did and we're still doing it and we're putting sneakers on it. And we're kind of, you know, not that there was anything wrong with it. You know, the beautiful traditional clothes that should continue being um, in our fashion landscape. It is our history. It's our legacy. But I feel that unless we push ourselves to come up with a new vocabulary for what is happening now, um, what's the point? I want my daughter to think, oh, look, you know, here's something we could look at. This is what they were wearing in the 20s, like how we look at, oh, this is what my mom was wearing in the 70s, right? Um, what is the point of me doing what they were doing in the 70s again, but just changing the shoe or the, uh, or the palette? That, to me, that doesn't make sense. So um, I think I've never really measured my success based on how big a label we became or we didn't because I never really did this to build an empire. I really truly did it because I thought, look, I, I find this void in the space. I don't find clothes that are stylish, that are dramatic, but also comfortable. I don't have to, you know, sacrifice my comfort for being luxurious, this quiet luxury brand, which is dramatic. Um, you know, it has to be feminine, but also has to be really strong. I don't want it to be too girly. I don't want it to be too masculine. I couldn't find that. And I thought, if I find wanting something like this, then there might be other women out there that feel the same way. There must be a few. Turns out there were enough for me to have made a business out of it. But the idea was never to make it an empire because that would mean I have to rally the masses. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that what I'm suggesting right now, they're ready for it. It'll take time, but it might take two generations and I'll be dead and gone. So I don't really care about that as much. Um, for me, it's just important to um, continue making clothes for the women that love it. And then hopefully every time they go out, um, perhaps 
you know, that tribe sort of increases over time. From everything that I gather that you say right now, you're very patient and your business is like sort of grown organically. I'm sure there were there was some forethought for sure, but how did you, were you always this like patient and, and easygoing in terms of this will grow and this will take and, and stuff like that? Or is that something that came with time for you? I'm not actually very patient to begin with. And I have fun patient because, you know, now I have a kid and I have, you know, two pets in Alibag and I had a dog here and a cat and, you know, and a husband and stuff. So I've become patient. Um, but in terms of the business, I can be this way because Vikram kind of shoulders the stress of all that other stuff. And he was the one who said, I think we should open a store. And he, you know, it was him um, preempting what we needed to grow the business. It wasn't me, you know, to be honest. Uh, because I, I really don't know if I can be one of those examples for female entrepreneurs. Because um, I know instinctively what the vision has to be for the brand. And I'm very clear about those kinds of things. Um, but I just don't have that uh, risk-taking ability or the know-how when it comes to like the numbers department. Yep. You know, I still mix up my zeros and stuff. Like if you tell me a million, I have to think, okay, six zeros. And then sometimes like I lose a zero in calculation. That can't be good for any business. Uh, so uh, that said, I've always, uh, I'm not much of a plan. Like I don't plan things. I have no plan for where this will be uh, five years from now. Um, Vikram is more that kind of a person, you know, he has a general idea. I do find that um, I'm more the kind of person when an opportunity sort of uh, uh, shows up, I'll jump in. I'm not tentative in that sense, but I'm not gearing up towards an opportunity happening. I kind of do like things to happen, like when the universe kind of makes it happen. That's sort of what I believe. But I feel that if I was left to my own devices, I'm not sure that we would be here at all. because. You know, Vikram's sort of strategic uh, calls have definitely played a huge factor in, in where we are. I think if I was left doing my own thing, I'd be very happy making one-tenth this and just having no overheads, working out of my living room and feeling just as uh, um, successful in my head. Because for me, I just, the part I enjoy the most is just making the clothes. It's not the rest of it that excites me anyways. Yeah. So now whether I make 15 samples and we make 200 of each or whether we make 10 of each, that's not what excites me. What excites me is the first 15 samples. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I don't know if I learned, the, I, I definitely learned being patient because, you know, being a painter and working from your studio, it's such an insular process and you're by yourself. And, you know, if you screw up something, screw up a painting, then it's your problem and you chuck it and you start it over. And, you know, if, if it works, then good for you. But, you know, when you're running a business like this, I couldn't do it without my team. And, it, uh, and I had to learn to let go of some of that control. You know, if I wanted to make a red, a particular shade of red when I was doing it on my palette, it's very easy to do that. I could spend two hours trying to get it right. But now that I have to send it to uh, someone to dye it, I mean, unless I'm going to dye it myself and I'm also going to weave the fabric and I'm also going to sew, I mean, it's not possible. I had to let go some of that control. So I, I try not to make it so perfect because it's not practical right and not to say that i'll do a shoddy job but i'll understand that look it's the closest to that red you wanted and if you like it then let it go and so let it go became sort of a <laughs> my anthem no that's super cool i think what's really interesting in that you always come back to the fact that you do this because you truly love it and so the like i guess what's really interesting is that you have somewhat built this empire and created this category in your own space and and done all those amazing things but it's so amazing for someone like a 22 year old to see someone that just absolutely loves their job and goes every day because they want to because it's what gives them joy and not because they want to make a lot of money or have like their designs like featured everywhere and and do it for the fame necessarily so yeah. that's really interesting yeah, i think that's important because you know i think a lot of um 
people think fashion is this glamorous business and you know you do fashion week or fashion shows and you show up in magazines and all of that stuff for me that stuff is um, is so topical that's not why i did any of this also i was much older when i started this label right so 2012 which was just 8 years ago and i'm 46 i was already 38 so i was already like an old lady now by your stand like your generation standards <laughs> so um one of the things is was that i wasn't so affected by many things right because uh, i didn't really care about you know going to a fashion party just to meet people that were in the fashion industry those kinds of things don't excite me i have my Uh, friends that I like to hang out with, and um, quite social as a person, as in I'm friendly and I'm, I'm chatty and I'm an extrovert. But I can also be, uh, um, I guess, I can also be quite an introvert. You know, like I'm not, I'm social when I want to be, but not at all points. And I don't, I've never um, really done that whole, uh, which is perhaps be helpful for businesses. I would say, um, if we were to to speak honestly. I've done that whole sort of networking thing, you know, like going to places just because you know you're going to meet people. Um, I don't know why I did that. I didn't do it because it was disingenuous for me as a person. I didn't really know how to do it. I would go because I wanted to dress up. For me, that's probably the only reason I would get out of the house is because I got a new sample and I get to wear it. And so I'll dress up. I enjoy the process of dressing up, doing my hair, and. putting things together and picking which shoe and which bag and all that stuff and it's fun for what it lasts and then I'm done and then the next day I'm I look the exact opposite of that you know like I'll just wear a simple kurta and I'm off to work so um I think that that yes for me that's never been a measure where you are in your business and how big you are and how many followers you have and how many likes you get and all cuz I don't even understand all that, you know. I'm not from this generation, so for me, those things were not like I still don't know how to post an Insta story. You don't know. Sometimes on my own other handle, which is my real handle, in which I have not made a single post, I don't even know how to accept like people's requests and stuff, you know. So, um, so I kind of live in a bubble like that. And so my measures of what makes me happy is that I have the luxury of time for it. Right, I'm the boss of my own time. Um, I can go to work. I can come back if my daughter has something that I need to attend to, uh, or if I simply want to take a nap in the middle of the day, or you know, if I want to watch a Netflix show and I want to binge. I can. I have the flexibility to not um, be answerable to someone, and that to me is is such a. To, to me, that's the luxury to be able to spend time with my family or to. Stare at the ceiling, or you know, whatever it is. I'm not a workaholic like that. So when I'm working, I'm really working. If when I'm not working, I really can't just be a bum, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that I love about being a, that. That I love about my job, in a sense. It doesn't feel like a job, and that's nice. No, that's amazing. That's inspired. That's like my dream is to is to find something that yeah. um that's just. that i love to go to work every day and and i'm really excited to start my first job and i hope it will be that way but um that's just inspiring to know that people find that and and have that luxury to build yeah it is really a privilege to be able to really enjoy something you do because then it's just not tedious right to to i mean I, let's face it okay i have days where uh i've sort of gone off that motivation motivational wheel i don't know there's such a thing but um It's hard for me to just sort of step back. You know, I'm just one of those people who go to the gym, who go to the gym for six months. I'm really into it, and then I'm like, okay, that's it. That's great. I look fine. I'm great. And then I'll just stuff my face for six months, and then again, I'm happy. You know, so I do have cycles. It's I'm not one of those people that wakes up in the morning and I'm motivated and I'm I'm ready. You know, I'm just gonna take over. I'm not one of those people. I'm actually fairly lazy, also. I would say, as in, you know, I'm very happy doing things. um at a slow pace you know thinking try to empty my brain i feel that's when you get the good ideas and it's okay to be uh um to have blocks sometimes and stop and wonder why you have them you know for me as a creative person and i think for most people that are doing this and in the fashion industry especially one of the biggest challenges is what i said earlier is how do you continue doing something that you truly believe in versus trying to incorporate some of the data that you constantly get right yeah. that's a huge challenge and i think that if you 
focus too much on the data, then you kind of sell out because you're just giving them what they want, right? And it becomes lazy. Um, or you just push yourself and then you have to, then it helps to be a little stubborn and say, no, look, you know, that's fine. Um, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. So the, but it's a tricky thing. I mean, I'm learning every day. It's not like I know the formula either, but I think um, that's one of those things that you have to be um, mindful of. Yep. I, you brought up two things that, that I actually wanted to ask you about. One was when you have those moments of creative block or you're just not feeling it, but you still have to presumably create samples and, and put collections out there. How do you then get yourself on this creative train and say, no, I have to get this done? Or do you just like sit back and say, I'll get, get to it? Uh, I try to do that. I try to just sit back and say, I'll get to it. And then, uh, unfortunately, the reality is that you also kind of have calendars, right? Around, around the, for me, that has also been uh, one of uh, these sort of pain points where ultimately I'm making collections because I have to retrofit them into a stockist uh, a calendar for, for previews or we don't do fashion week anymore. So that, that's sort of out, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't live on an Island, right? I mean, I live in an ecosystem. I have my own retail stores, but I also, you know, stock in other stores and online and things. And the ideal utopian way would be that I just, something comes to me and I make it and it happens and then I can just not do anything for six months. But the fact is I run a business, right? And I, and I employ people and I do have to have, uh, a stream of revenue that gets generated consistently right so um you can't really be utopian like that because you're not an artist so I, you kind of have to fracture yourself from that uh, sort of world um to me that that is a struggle always because sometimes i don't i'm not excited about anything i don't want to do anything you know and and then i just you know either um vikram will very subtly as a husband should do point it out to me <laughs> Even though I'm well aware of it, um, and then that upsets me, and then I'm like, fine, I'll do something. But I think for me, the most important thing is when I get into a funk like that, or if I feel like, and you know, after every collection, I feel like I have nothing left to say. I'm like, what? I have no ideas. I've run out of all ideas. But then that doesn't happen, and then there's a new idea, and there's a germ of an idea, and then I think what I need to do is sort of uh, what I what I try to do is I just get up and leave, and I go to the studio. You know, I I read. Um, I stare out of the window. I just try to think. I think sometimes when I get off that wheel, it's because I'm lacking focus and I'm distracted by Netflix or, you know, I don't know, stuff or I've, I'm reading too much. I'm fiddling on the piano and then I've, I've lost that momentum. Mm -hmm. And so to get the momentum back, I think the easiest thing is for me to just go to the studio instead of trying to do it in my head on my bed. Because that doesn't really work and then it just and then it takes a few days and then you get into it and you know and then these little ideas start coming and it doesn't happen often but every so often it 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 definitely hits you and you're like hmm I don't know am I not just making clothes because I have to or am I making them because I really want to um and the fact is that uh, I don't think that you can be so romantic about it there are times that um I've started to make them not because I wanted to make them, but ultimately what I made was still something that I wanted to make. Do you see the difference? Like it wasn't the, the point of uh, the, the origin was not, oh, okay, I really have to make this pant because this, the world needs this pant. Um, but it was more like, okay, you have to make something, focus, and then you come up with the pant that you really want to wear. Yep. I only make the clothes that I want to wear. I never make anything else, right? Um, so for me, then it's easy. Then I kind of circle back to, okay, come on, you know, it's been tough now with the lockdown and things. I don't even go anywhere. I'm not going any place. I'm not doing anything. I'm not dressing up. And um, so it feels like, hmm, you know, why do I want to make something out of the way? I'm not going any place. Um, but you kind of have to just focus. And then there's always something you want to make. I mean, you might wear it six months from now, but... Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it can be tough sometimes, but I think uh, you kind of have to just hunker down and, and try to just be disciplined about it, right? Because this isn't some, you know, I employ people, their families depend on me. So I'm well aware that uh, I can't be stubborn and sort of uh, um, flighty about it. Yeah, for sure. I think that definitely 
like strikes a chord with me because I used to really struggle. I was writing a thesis and some days I just couldn't write. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, some idea will like come to me and I'll write it. And my advisor would be like, just write something on the page. It could be absolute rubbish. You can delete it later, but just write something. And I think that that whole thing of just, I guess, showing up um, and just starting something is, is definitely very helpful to get out of a, to get out of a funk. Um, not that I'm very creative. I have no creative, like no creative bone in me. Um, but it, I, I disagree with that. You know, I know many people say that, but I think that um, being creative, I mean, I think to run, uh, to be a, I don't know, like a finance, venture capitalist or whatever, you still have to be creative, right? You, even in the thesis that you're writing, you're being creative. Because if you were not, then it would be a crap thesis, right? So um, I think that you, creativity comes in so many forms and we kind of misunderstand it for people that wear a lot of color and, you know, wear like the hair differently and then you're like, oh, she's so, so creative because, you know, she's so different. And I don't know that that has anything to do with anything. And if you looked at Steve Jobs, I mean, obviously he was so creative, right? But if you looked at him that way, so that's one aspect of it. And I think the other aspect is how do you, you can be creative with numbers, you can be creative with food, you can be creative. With, so, I mean, I think every, everybody that's good at whatever they do, it already means that they're creative because they're creating, you know, they're creating content, um, you're creating ideas, you're creating philosophies. All of that is, is creative. But it's just a different medium. Um, but I, I think that, you know, you, you can be creative just with the way um, you whisper something in someone's ear. You, you know, it could be the simplest thing or the, or the way you smile at someone. That's great. So I, I don't know, I, I, I hear many people say, I'm not creative at all. I'm like, I don't know. I, if you really think about it, you'll find something that you're creative at. It just doesn't have to look like something that we expect it to look like. Yeah, that actually, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that away and, and think about that as there are so many ways to, I guess, express your creativity. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, quote unquote, art, I suppose. Well, um, like, yeah. Skateboarders are creative. Um, I, you know, I think you can do... You know, even if somebody's selling bread on a cycle, you can do it creatively versus not, right? Um, so I think that it's just how you do things. It's like how you, you like, there was such a beautiful quote, which obviously I don't remember because I, I think I have a slight early onset of dementia, but, um, you know, he said, style is how you do everything, right? So it's kind of like that, like there's art and style and everything. The way you box, the way you wrestle, the way you... Um, wear your clothes, the way you pick up your cup of tea. It makes everything better to do something a certain way. Some people are born with it and they have it. And then the rest of us try to play catch up, right? Um, but, it, but it's a little bit like that because to be stylish is, means to be creative. But you might have a style of writing. I mean, of course, writers are in any case considered creative. So maybe that's a bad example. But um, I don't know, even the way you write like your to-do list can be creative, right? It's, it's a dumb thing, but um, you can do it in a creative way. So. Yeah. Um, in terms of your own creative process, you mentioned that you make clothes that you would want to wear. But aside from that, you're, like you mentioned in the beginning as well, that your audience is this like intelligent woman that's looking to like maybe push the envelope a little. So what are things that inspire you to like create these clothes aside from obviously your own, like wanting to, to, to build something for yourself that's wearable for you? So, you know, one of the things that I love about the clothes is that even though I have a core audience, let's say, that might, uh, I think, have X amount of personality traits, I always find that there are people that I would have never imagined would like the clothes and wear them that do wear them. That to me is very exciting because obviously the ones that I see aligning themselves closer to the way I am perhaps or with the way the DNA of the brand is, that's sort of a given, right? Because that's my core audience. But if I see someone that's wearing it, that I would not have pegged as someone to pick that off the rack and then wear it. And then I can see that transformation happening when they put the clothes on, sometimes when I'm on the shop floor. And I'm not on the shop floor that often, but... When I see that happen, that's really exciting for me because I can see how in an instant something as um, 
as superfluous as a garment, right? It's it's sort of flippant, right? When you think about it, it's just clothes. It's not. I'm not, you know, trying to change the world. But I think the the way that it empowers that same woman who came in wearing something else, the minute she's in this and she sees herself in a different light, you can see a spring in her step and you see that confidence. And then when she goes out and then other people respond to that sort of, you know, that, you know, you become an inch taller just because of the way you feel, um, people respond to it. And then when you get compliments and stuff, then they feel really happy. And then that makes them, um, doubt themselves less and then they feel like you know if they were, this was the first time they wore something then they feel like oh I can do this you know um, and I think that how the clothes make you feel for me is more important than necessarily how they make you look because of course that's nice uh, lots of things can make you look a certain way but how you feel is very different you know like if you got into a bathing suit you might look really good but if you feel really uncomfortable it's not going to be great so to me that's you know that sort of intangible um impulse you know to be able to to see that when somebody wears your clothes for me that's really exciting you know um because it's easy to say oh an intelligent woman wants to who am i to say who's intelligent and who's not you know just because they wear my clothes doesn't necessarily make them more intelligent or less intelligent if they don't um I try to make clothes really to be so inclusive in the sense that I don't care if you're, a, you know, you're part of an elite club or you're a pseudo intellectual or you're one of those, you know, like uh, um, fancy people that shoots everything in front of bookshelves. I don't care about any of that stuff. You know, I want you to be someone who um, has a spirit of lightness, like, you know, that lightness of being. I want you to know that these are just clothes. In the end, they're supposed to make you feel better than you did before you wore them. That's my only job, really. You know, um, so if I empower them in that way, then that's fantastic. That, then my job is done. Um, but I don't really care who that woman is. You know, if she's big, if she's small, if she's tall, if she's short, if she's old, if she's not, if she's shy, if she's bold. I, like to me, I don't care who that person is. I hope that I can access all of them. You know. Um, well, there's a, this, like for instance, when we make the clothes, I'm very particular about it not being too much of any one thing. Like I don't, I never wanted the clothes to be androgynous, for instance. Mm -hmm. I want them to be feminine, but I want them to be strong as well, right? Um, and so uh, there's this uh, ice skater, um, I, think he's, I think he's from the US. And uh, Johnny, and he buys our clothes. And he, you know, he's a gold medalist and stuff, Olympic gold medalist. And uh, he buys our clothes and he skates in them. And it's kind of fantastic because we've never pegged ourselves as, you know, being gender fluid and all these like buzzwords and things. I make clothes that are easy to live in. So technically, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, you could wear it if it was your thing. It's not my thing to suggest that men should also wear it. But if they were to pick it, then even better. Good. I mean, I, because I'm not making them necessarily giving men in mind. I'm keeping the body in mind. That's all I care about. You know, that, that sort of space between the clothes and the human and how to, um, how to, what's the hack? How much space do you need before you start looking like a bag or before you start looking dumpy? Um, and how little space can you stop at before you have to stop eating your meals? You know, um, how do you allow somebody to be who they are, um, but still maximize their shape and their personality and not go so far that it becomes anti-fit or anti-something? I'm not anti-anything. I don't want it to be anti-something. I just want it to be this one thing, which is comfortable but still stylish. So. In terms of, um, like, pardon me if I sound a little bit ignorant, I'm still figuring out how the fashion world works, but it seems like you've always been in the forefront of this somewhat trendless fashion that's minimalist and that um, now the buzzword surrounding that is sustainable. And after the pandemic, people have realized that the fashion industry can be a little bit extreme in terms of the number of clothes we're putting out there and how it is. So do you ever feel like this responsibility to champion that change or do you always just like do your thing and hope that 
that the industry was sort of like follow along. Like what's your take on that and how do you deal with that? You know, um, I never wanted to do it because I never cared about fashion. You know, I don't think fashion to begin with is sustainable, right? Because you're constantly expecting it to buy something new every like three weeks or every two months, depending on how many collections they do. And that is the biggest problem with fashion. So they're shoving all these new things down your throat and you feel like, oh my God, if I want to belong, I have to have this top or this shaped trouser or the skinny jean or whatever it is. The problem with that is that, and this is the problem I have with it inherently, is that A, it's not sustainable. B, if the reason you're dressing up a certain way is um, to feel a certain way, but for me, one of the reasons is that I, have, I want to express my own individuality, right? I don't want to go to a party and have four other people at the same time. I'm not interested in that at all. I don't want to stick out for the sake of it either. But I certainly don't want to be homogenous, like part of this big homogenous gang of people that look the same. The problem with trends is that's exactly what it does. You know, in the, in the guise of thinking that, oh my God, I'm going to look uh, so cool and so fashionable. I'm going to wear this top. And then you go out on Friday night, it's a sea of the same cold shoulder tops, right? Because that's what high street shops are selling or whatever. And then that's what you get on. And then they tell you in two weeks, oh, no, no, that's gone now. Now you have to get the clothes, like college. And then you get that. And then everyone looks the same. So for me, the focus has always been on, on personal style. And I wear, I have clothes that I bought from New York when, you know, when I was in my 20s that I still have, that I'll still wear. Sometimes I put my clothes away, I bring them back out. And, you know, and I, I tend to wear the same things very often because it's comfortable and I can't be bothered to make one more decision in the morning or what I'm going to wear. Um, but I think that that's very important is that you can't... Do, do you understand? You, you see what I mean? Like if style is what really propels what I do, then anything that fashion suggests, I don't care. Right? Because the two things are so separate in my head. You know, you don't remember someone because of their fashion choices. You remember them because of their personal style. So, um, you know, we, there are a few people that will come to your head when you think of, oh my God, she's so stylish. But when you think of most of the celebrities that you see now, for instance, you can't really tell because you don't know what their personal style is. Because one day they're wearing one thing, one day they're wearing... Because they, they're because they follow fashion and therefore they follow trends. So um, I've never really been uh, concerned too much about that. And so when I started, it was because I didn't care about it. And now I continue doing it because I still don't care about it. And now I care about it even less. And now I, I think initially I was less um, perhaps now it like makes me angry sometimes, like not angry, maybe stupid, but it, it annoys me that people are so hung up about it. When I started, it didn't annoy me so much. It, it was just an extension of what I believed in. Um, now it really bothers me because on the one hand, people talk about sustainability and then they do like so many collections every year and they put things on sale. And, and like, but the whole system is not sustainable, you know? And if you're saying, I'm going to make a new collection this year, and I'm going to make another collection in two months, I'm going to make another collection, then whether you use organic cotton or not, you're still not sustainable in sense, right? Because if you're, if you're so inventory heavy and you've pushed out so much stuff and you know it won't move and you have to shove it down people's throats and then discount everything, which is, seems to be the new normal, right? Just discount it. So people will buy it and say, hey, it's so much cheaper. I'm just going to buy it anyways. They might not really need it. They would have never bought it at its full price, maybe even because they didn't even like it, but now because it's cheaper, they'll buy it. Yeah. Um, so I think those things are problematic and, and um, this is one more aspect of the whole fashion system which, which is um, for me it's quite easy to just uh, soldier on because I don't, I don't know I don't, I don't really read fashion magazines and I don't go through what people are doing and I, I do kind of in that sense live in, in my bubble and so I don't really care if they're saying, oh, purple is the color for this year. I'm like, why? Who said? Like, why should you know what I mean? I don't even understand the, I know they have to do it because then like fabric manufacturers will start making things in purple and then everybody will start in. I get that there's a whole system to it. Yep. 
But I'm working with my weavers over here. Why can't I make purple just because you said purple? Like, why can't I just make red? So I just do whatever I want. I don't really, I mean, you know, Indians carry all kinds of colors so well. And just because somebody somewhere in, in the Western world decides a peach color is great. I mean, 90% of Indians don't have peach colored skin. So why would I use that as a color? I'm still going to do what my primary audience would look best in. For sure. Um, the, the question I had to go off of that is that, do you think that will change inherently? Like, do you think more people will become cognizant of how unsustainable it is? Or do you think that it's going to take a lot to, to switch it? Especially my generation, I feel like, I, and I, I, I'm fully, um, like I'm one of the people that looks at Instagram and, and looks at, at, at Facebook and says, oh, this is really cool. Like, let me get this. And it's like $20 or whatever, 1,000 rupees doesn't seem like a huge amount in my head. So I'm like, oh, sure, I can buy this and I wear it twice. And so I was really curious about your thoughts on whether you think it'll change and how, like, how is it possible to capitalize a change so that we go into this more sustainable trend of fashion where, well, not trend because that's an oxymoron, but like a sustainable, um, sustainable consumption where you still feel empowered and you still feel like you're expressing yourself, but you're not compromising the environment and, and just going through this. So, you know, the, the, this is a good question because uh, I think that so many things, the pendulum shifts, right? Uh, sometimes you do something, then there's an adverse reaction when it goes back. Um, sometimes we have cycles, you know, we've done something and then we've come around, learned our lessons, and we start it again. Um, I find that for things to really change is, is an uphill task, but it'll depend on you guys, right? Because you guys live in, in a different world than we did. You know, I'll be 15 for years, right? So I didn't grow up with posting every picture that I ever took and putting it on Insta and then worrying that maybe perhaps everybody saw what I wore and then I can't repeat it. So for, uh, for me, the, the idea of wearing something twice and chucking it seems so bizarre because I only buy clothes that I want to hang on, that I don't want to throw, right? That I want to wear um, until they kind of fall apart or until I'm at least bored with them and I'm done. You know, I don't want to see it again. Um, but I think this sort of new world where um, we in any case consume more than we should and everything is kind of disposable, right? Because everything is so quick. You guys are, I don't mean to point fingers. I'm just saying this is what it is. My daughter grows up in a world where if I had to find the meaning of something, I have to go to the library and look it up or open a dictionary. Now she just Googles it. Right? And in five seconds, she knows everything. She's so used to having things. The turnaround time is so quick. That I think unless this kind of um, bizarre idea that I went to a wedding and I wore something, Everyone saw it, I can't repeat it. This thing needs to get corrected somewhere because it was weird. And it happened from, you know, um, us following celebrities and them wearing something at the airport and then they never repeat their clothes. And we look so closely to them for all our cues for, I don't know what reason, but it's true. <laughs> and we do. Um, and that's why now they're getting celebrities to try to repeat their clothes when they go for award ceremonies. So it kind of tells us, hey, look, she's so rich and she's so beautiful and she's so thin or whatever. And she can repeat her clothes and it's okay for us to repeat our clothes, right? Now, how sad is that? It's okay for us to repeat our clothes. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't mean they don't even buy those clothes. They're free. <laughs> Just some of them aren't, but most of them are. And um, I don't think that things will change unless we really care about the purpose behind the product, right? Like, so it'll require an entire generation to feel like, okay, let's, let's see what happened now with the lockdown, right? Um, one aspect of it was people didn't have anywhere to go. So they didn't really want to buy anything nice because they were like, what the hell, where will I wear it? But eventually what happened was, okay, so in the beginning, maybe people just bought pajamas and t-shirts because everyone's working from home. Then when things started slowly opening up, they're like, well, we're still not going out to nice places. What are we going to buy? But there's also the itch you want to scratch or you want retail therapy is retail therapy. It's nice to just receive something and just look at it even if you're not going to wear it somewhere. And it's like, wow, I got something new. That's kind of nice. So that's great. But the thing is now, if we're all making less money, which I guess clearly all of us are, right? Because everyone kind of got stopped in their track. Then if you have just 2,000 rupees to spend, 
would you wait and put another 2000 rupees in it and buy something beautiful or something handwoven or something sustainable or some product from a brand that had a story that that was meaningful or would you say listen i've only got 2000 baht if i go to zara i'll get two things right so now that decision ultimately will boil down to each consumer that in that moment of you know it's that it's a testing moment right when you're not being tested you might buy this and that and that might still be better than not buying this at all but now let's say you have only that much expendable income will you still want more or will you still want quality versus quantity and my guess is and i know i'll sound like a cynic when i say this is that people will still want more you know it's no it's it's no coincidence that zara's online sales went up by double yeah in the long run so um so i mean unfortunately but i i do think that there is awareness i do think more designers are giving us solutions on how to make products that are more sustainable um and i do think that it's the responsibility of both you know you don't have to make 10000 things and then shove 9000 out of them on sale that's the responsibility of us and us as you know and, and to obviously have systems that are sustainable and responsible uh, in terms of labor and and all of that stuff and then the responsibility also lies in the hands of the consumer that because you, you the consumer is the only person that can disrupt the cycle yeah if all of you and i say you only because i'm designing right now so i'm on this side but and i because i design clothes i hardly ever buy anything at all except maybe some tank tops you know for for going to the gym um so it's not it's not telling the consumer there's no need to buy anything from h&m no the point is that if you were going to buy 10 t-shirts you really need 10 t-shirts yep. can you just hack it with the two so that when one goes in the wash you can wear the other one you know just not buying more just because it's cheaper those kinds of things will decide it because you all will have the power to stop it in its tracks if you all don't buy things as consumers if we don't buy more than we need constantly then they won't produce that much yeah right now people just buy stuff because it's so cheap and it's so easy to just throw Uh, but it just ends up in landfills. It's awful. Yeah. Definitely, I know you said you you would you you thought you would sound like a cynic, but I do agree with you when you think about just like the economics of the decision. Like I studied behavioral economics for a little while, and it's it's like one is immediate gratification because then you just instead of waiting another month to get that other two thousand rupees and then buying something nice, you're like, well, I'd rather buy it now. That's first, yeah. and then, because you get only another two thousand later, and so you make that same decision again, right? Yeah, because it's it, because it's quick, and it's, right. that dopamine, the DHL guy, FedEx guy is there, and you're like, hey, that's great, you know, and then you're like, oh, I'm over it, bye. Yeah, and then the cycle starts again. So, and well, it's very myopic, so you don't realize how much gratification that one really nice piece will give you for a long time because you discount it. But you yeah. think, oh, this is going to give me the short-term, like high spike of utility. Like and then it's it's it, yeah, it's exactly like that. It's and it's the same reason, like on the flip side, why people procrastinate. It's just this way you just consume more. So, I guess it'll take a lot of changing and and I, guess, I suppose like nudging people in the right direction from everywhere to adopt. Because it has to be an internal choice, you know. I mean, I find even nudging things is tough, right? It's just because you're like. I try that with my daughter all the time, and I, but I think the only time it works is when it comes from from a truer place where she really wants to do something. She's all over it. If I'm suggesting something, it's always a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a push and pull because I I think that the difference between a consumer being told, "Listen, this is the responsible thing to do. You shouldn't do this." Not like who are you to tell me it's my money. I'll do whatever I want. But versus they really feel. bad because they've read something or they've uh, uh you know they've really they're on the same page now something has affected them so deeply that they're like you know this is true we can't i don't want to be party to it it has to come from an honest place i think for that change to really happen i think the nudging is fine to show them direction but for them to to flip over to the steam where you're really thinking about okay what's the what's the purpose behind this brand 
right? But behind the products they make. Are they asking those questions? We're not asking those questions when we go to um, shop, right? That's, we're like, come on, yeah, it's just some, we just want to have a good time. We just want to buy something. Why does everything have to be so political? You know what I mean? So it is a function of that. It's, it's a cultural mindset, but it'll only really change when that um, impulse is internal versus external, I think. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and hopefully if Instagram has been our downfall, it'll also be our savior. Because then I think that that activism and the way that you can spread information and what I've seen happen over the last few months has been really inspiring. Because at least I guess most of the people that I follow are, are, are my age and, and I've seen them raise their voice. And so once once it goes viral in some ways and people start to think about that, I, I don't think there's anything like stopping all the I always am I'm a stern believer that there's always the good always comes with the bad, right? So just because something is doing something which you feel is um, not working doesn't mean it doesn't have the power to correct. That same very medium, that same vehicle can actually do the exact opposite. So 